Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Matt cough. We have so much yogurt to deal with right now. Just give me back the fucking bubble. Fuck you, Tanya. That and more. But before that, I just want to remind you that a great way to help us keep Risk running and to get all sorts of bonus content is to become a patron of ours at patreon.com slash risk. If you become a patron, you can do it for a dollar a month, five dollars a month, ten dollars a month, and on up. And there's all sorts of perks and prizes, you know, depending on how much you're giving. But, you know, there's a lot of bonus content there. There are ad-free versions of the episodes for people giving ten dollars a month or more. There are, you know, some of our early episodes from our first couple seasons and our all-star episodes, which aren't available a lot of places. But there's also just the way that a few times a month we'll put up bonus stories, stories that we've been meaning to run on the podcast forever, but just haven't for one reason or another. And sometimes we'll also post videos or behind the scenes stuff we're thinking about there just to share with the fans there at the Patreon page. But more than anything, you will have the satisfaction of knowing that you are an essential essential part of keeping what we do going we are so grateful to our patreon patrons it's really changed things for us and and is making a big difference in the way that we are able to do what we do so again that's patreon.com slash risk p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash risk Also, don't forget that Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer at home. Stamps.com makes it easy. They'll send you a digital scale that automatically calculates exact postage. Stamps.com will even help you decide the best class of mail, Based on your needs, no need to lease an expensive postage meter, and no long-term commitments. We use Stamps.com at risk and the Story Studio. We've been using it for years, and we love it. And right now, you can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and that digital scale. So go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in risk. That's stamps.com, enter risk. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is the Whitefield Brothers behind me now. I just got back from doing shows in Chicago and then Madison and then Detroit. Bam, bam, bam. One right after the another. The another? Sure. Let's all say it that way from now on. 
But I'll tell you, people are just so welcoming and supportive and sweet and enthusiastic about the show. All three shows were sold out and just such great people. So it's just an honor to take the show out on the road like that. Never been to Madison before. And what sweet folks there were there. We'll be hearing a lot of those stories from this past few days on the podcast in the next you know month or two. We're calling this week's episode Rejection. One of the most feared things in the world. Uh, these are three stories of people who either found themselves rejecting someone else or found themselves being rejected from someone else and having to rebound and deal with that. And each story is surprising in its own way. In a little bit, we're going to hear from the poet Laura Swearingen Steadwell. She has a new book of poems coming out soon called All Blue So Late. But before that, we're going to hear from comedian Matt Koff. Matt is a writer at The Daily Show right now over at Comedy Central. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Koff. Here he is now with a story we call Meowry Me. Uh, great to be here. I, um, I want to tell the story of uh, how I got engaged. Um, I met Becky it was 11 years ago this summer. And, you know, we didn't meet on your kids' dating apps the way you do now, you know, your Tinder and your Bumble. We did it the old-fashioned way, you know. We met on MySpace. <laughs> you know. They have friends networking and serious relationships. I think that was, and uh, yeah, you, you, you don't only get to plug your band, you also get to plug a total stranger. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I met Becky, you know, we, we met up, and instantly I was sort of head over heels with her. I, you know, she was cute as a button. She was sort of like a, a manic pixie dream girl before that was a thing which is, I realize, the most hipster sentence ever. But it's true, you know, she, she wasn't full Zoe Deschanel. She didn't own a ukulele, but she's just kind of quirky. She ate frozen yogurt in the winter. She was just cute, and, and we were a good fit. We would go to parties of my friends and have three beers and then just fall asleep on the couch together immediately. We were both pretty lightweight uh, in terms of drinking. I think in the first year we were together, you know, we probably had a hundred dicks drawn on our foreheads, <laughs> respectively. <laughs> um, but the other thing that appealed to me about Becky is the fact that there was a, a darkness about her, you know, she was, she was inter- there, was, there was layers there. Uh, she wasn't just cute, but one time um, we were watching There Will Be Blood and uh, it was towards the end, and you know, the Daniel Day-Lewis character, the oil tycoon, was just alone in his house, shooting at things that weren't really there. And she leaned over to me and she was like, I could see myself ending up like that. (laughs) 
And I was like, this is the girl for me. <laughs> but there was also, though, I have to say, like, uh, you know, that, that was the fun darkness, but there was also the real darkness, too, um, which is that she struggled a lot, sort of like me, with anxiety. She had dropped out of, uh, you know, really good school, just a few credits shy of graduating. She just didn't finish, like, a thesis and then just dropped out. And it was a kind of thing where her life was kind of stalled because of that, and she couldn't even talk about it at all with anyone, you know. And uh, as, as the relationship went on, I was pretty proud of myself. I gently but steadily encouraged her, to like, hey, maybe you, you know, maybe you could go back and get your degree. And, you know, fast forward three years, uh, it wasn't just me. Obviously, it was, it was mostly her, but uh, she was going to, you know, re-enroll that fall in another school. So that was kind of a nice feeling. And at this point, I was realizing, you know, it's been a couple of years. This is getting pretty serious, you know. We're growing together. We're not just having fun. We're growing together. This is more than just your typical MySpace fling. <laughs> so one night that summer, uh, we were on the phone. Um, you know, we, we still didn't live together, but she called me and she was like, you know, Matt, I've been thinking, you know, why aren't we engaged yet? <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I'd thought about it, but my heart kind of stopped. This is where my own anxiety uh, kicked in because marriage was, was always sort of a tricky thing for me because my parents had had a long, horrible marriage, which they are still in today, <laughs> actually. <laughs> like they, I think they really took till death do you part, literally. They're like, all right, where's death already? Uh, <laughs> You know, I don't know. I, I remember my dad would sit me down sometime. He's like, Matt, I want you to remember two things. Always brush your teeth before you go to sleep and don't ever get married. <laughs> and I remember thinking even then, this is a guy with some deep, dark cavities <laughs> in his life. But this was Becky, and I love Becky, and I was, I was excited. So, uh, you know, I was like, oh, fuck, all right, well... If that's what I got to do, I got to do. So this is what happened. So I, I, there were a couple of setbacks. Like I didn't have a job. It was 2009. I was on unemployment from a shitty proofreading job I'd had. So, you know, I was eating sandwiches every day and I'm like, okay, listen, I can make this work. I'll downgrade to rice and beans for a few months, save up uh, money from, uh, you know, the unemployment uh, stimulus package, which was actually pretty generous. I don't know if anyone else was on it. And a uh, couple, couple fans. Um, and and uh, my mom generously uh, gave me uh, the diamond from my grandmother's uh, engagement ring. My grandmother at the time was still alive, but my grandfather was dead, so fuck it, she wasn't using it. <laughs> and so I, I saved up uh, some unemployment money, enough to buy like a, a nice Art Deco setting for Becky. You know, it wasn't much, but I liked it. Yeah, so I got this setting from a place called Gold City in Yonkers. Uh, I know it sounds like it's in South America, but no, I didn't make a trek anywhere except on the Metro North to Yonkers. Uh, it's pretty, as far as Yonkers establishments go, it's pretty on the level. But anyway, I, I, um, I was a little 
insecure, though, I have to say, like, about the fact that, you know, it wasn't like one of these, like, big, fancy, you know, fucking mortgage-level engagement rings, you know? It was just something that I could give to Becky just to... It was more more like a a token, you know? And I thought to myself, like, oh, this will be like... If I propose to Becky with this... uh, ring with Obama's stimulus package money. It'll be the first time that anyone's ever said sincerely, thanks Obama. <laughs> and I wanted to be that guy. So, but my friend is like, Matt, if the ring is kind of on the cheap side, here's what you do. You give somebody like a good story, like you propose in a creative way. And I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. So I think about Becky and I think about what is Becky like? Well, she likes eating frozen yogurt year-round. She likes cats, and, and she loves Chipotle. So I start putting that together in my mind, and I hatch a plan. So here goes. Uh, one day, while, while Becky uh, is a class in the new school, I go to a Pinkberry, and uh, I say to the woman behind the counter, I say, hey, her name is Tanya. Hey, Tanya, in half an hour, I am going to propose to my girlfriend, and I want you to help. And she was very excited. This is probably maybe a career highlight in her Pinkberry career. <laughs> and she was like, sure. And so I, I give her this plastic bubble, the one you get like a, from a grocery store. You get those 50-cent toys in. And uh, in it is not my engagement ring from Gold City, but a tiny uh, note with a picture of a cat and a dialogue bubble, and the dialogue bubble says, will you meowry me? <laughs> and so, I didn't, I didn't worry about Tanya stealing this. Uh, I mean, that would be weird. But anyway, so I give the plastic bubble to Tanya, and I'm like, all right, in 30 minutes, you're gonna see my face with another face of the woman who I'm going to propose to. And she's like, got it, see you then. So I go and I meet Becky across the street. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we eat uh, Chipotle burritos. It's very good, as it usually is. And then we, we go, uh, and, I'm, and I'm like, hey, how about, uh, how about we get some, uh, you know, frozen yogurt, frozen yogurt pinkberry nightcap. And she's like, sure, of course. She loves frozen yogurt. She's Becky. You understand. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we go back to Pinkberry, and uh, Tanya is not there. Uh, there's a guy named Rick working the counter, and instantly I'm like, who the fuck is Rick? <laughs> and I'm sure Tanya, before uh, you know, she left, she must have let Rick in on the plan. Well, guess what? She didn't. Uh, there is no plastic bubble. He gives, we, we order two yogurts, even the small yogurts at Pinkberry are pretty fucking big. And uh, so we get these two things, and I'm like, there's no fucking plastic bubble in here. How am I going to get this woman to meowry me? Uh, and so, you know, we, take, I, we go sit at a table, and then Tanya comes out, and, and I'm like, uh, listen, Becky, got to go get some napkins. Go, and I go, and I talk to Tanya. I'm like, Tanya, did you tell Rick about the plan? She's like, oh, my God, I forgot. But you were so excited 30 minutes ago. And she's like, well, I can give you, like, a free extra third yogurt if you want. And, like, we have so much yogurt to deal with right now. Just give me back the fucking bubble. Fuck you, Tanya. So, 
And then to add uh, insult to injury, uh, 15 minutes later, Becky gets a text from her cousin Emma, who said that she just got engaged. <laughs> and I'm like, God fucking damn it. This bitch stole my thunder. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't, maybe this is a sign that I, sh- I should not be wed to Becky about like, no, you know what? This is just a minor setback. This happens, this is all the time. Uh, you know, and I'm like, what am I gonna do with this, you know, fucking engagement, Frankenstein engagement ring that I put together? So it's, you know, and I, I, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll wait a few weeks, you know, let the other engagement thing die down. Um, but this fucking ring is just sitting in my, you know, fucking bed apartment, and I'm like, what if somebody breaks in and steals the ring, you know? And I realize that somebody could steal the ring when it's on Becky's hand, but then it's, like, not my responsibility as much. So I wait a week, and I try again. But this time, if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. So here's what I did. You know, we were going out, it was October, we were, we were uh, costume, Halloween costume shop, we were, we were on our way, and I was like, hey, uh, you know, it might be good to get our energy up for buying Halloween costumes, more frozen yogurt, how about that? And she's like, oh, okay, this guy is really into Froyo right now, even more so than usual. So <laughs> I go to this place called Yogurt Station, which is no longer there, it's on St. Mark's Place, and it's, it's a couple fans here, and... Um, I, it's like a precursor to 16 handles, you know, you self-serve yogurt, and I'm like, hey, Becky, I have an idea. Why don't we do this fun couples exercise where I pick out the type of yogurt you want, the flavor and the toppings, and you do the same with me. And somehow she didn't suspect a thing, uh, because that's a pretty weird, convoluted plan, (laughs) if you ask me. Um, so, So I let her, I'm like, oh, please, ladies first. So she goes and creates my yogurt, and uh, I go, and I have my little trusty plastic bubble, this time with the engagement ring inside it, and I drop it in the yogurt uh, container, and I fill it up with uh, yogurt, and I realize this is actually a pretty big plastic bubble, so I have to use a giant amount of yogurt just to even cover it. And, you know, fucking gummy bears and uh, whatever, carob chips, I don't know what the fuck they had in there. And she's like, why the fuck did you give me so much yogurt? I'm like, I don't know, you like yogurt. You're Becky. <laughs> so we, we walk around uh, Cooper Square and um, you know, her plastic spoon hits some plastic. And she's like, what is this? And I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't know. Why don't you check it out, all right? <laughs> Do some investigating. And she pulls out this yogurt-soaked plastic bubble and she opens it, and there's a, a, a you know a sticky ring. <laughs> and I get down on one knee, and I say, Becky, uh, will you marry me? And right now, it's, just, it's like I felt so vulnerable and out of control, like the kind of feeling you only get when you're waiting for the G train at 2 a.m. You guys know. <laughs> uh, and little in joke for us Brooklyn people, anyway. But I. <laughs> just sitting there waiting, and she looks at it, she's like, is this a joke? And I'm like, I've gotten that, that question so many times as a comedian, but never so high stakes. <laughs> and, and I say, this is not a joke. Uh, will you marry me? And she says, yes. And I am relieved. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> and uh, then she's like, where, where did you get the diamond? And I'm like, I... I 
pried it off my grandmother's old ring. It's not important. <laughs> and then we go and we get costumes. Uh, I get a uh, jumpsuit from, uh, you know, to look like the character from Lost, one of the Dharma Initiative guys, whatever the fuck. And she uh, is uh, Mr. Spock from Star Trek. So not really a couple's costume. I guess you could say that J.J. Abrams executive produced both of our costumes. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, I'd like to think that it makes sense that she was Mr. Spa because getting engaged was the next logical step. All right, anyway. <laughs> they can't all be winners. Um, so, soon the sheen of uh, being engaged, you know, wore off because she still had a pretty stressful semester, a big term paper to finish up. And uh, a week later, she was like, Matt, sometimes she would like snap, and she was just like, did you really need to propose to me in the middle of a semester? And I'm like, I don't know, fucking sorry. I thought that's what you wanted. I didn't really consider the timing. She's like, I have a lot to deal with. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to lay low and, and just kind of wait for her to finish out her semester, finish her big term paper, and then we can celebrate over Christmas break. So uh, Christmas break comes and she does not hand in her assignments because she's too racked with anxiety and she doesn't hand in her assignments like till well into January. And the entire time I felt like, oh man, I guess I just gotta like, it, it was a weird thing because I wanted her to like finish and I had, the entire time we'd been together, I'd been gen- sort of gently pushing her to like, you know, move things along. But she was so racked with anxiety that I think she started to resent me. And I didn't really know what to do because I just wanted her to do well. Uh, and then uh, I remember uh, one time in um, January, you know, we, we had been fighting a lot and, and she sat me down and she's like, are you willing to deal with all this? And I'm like, what do you mean? I mean, my anxiety, my mood swings and all that stuff. And I'm just like, well, I proposed to you, so... Yeah. And she's like, uh, I've been thinking and I don't want to be engaged uh, anymore. And I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> I uh, spent so much money on this ring and so much energy and, and all the frozen yogurt. I mean, it really set me back. <laughs> and also, like, I, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't no, you could get de-engaged. I was like, do you want to break up? She's like, no, I just want to get unengaged or whatever the word is. And I was like, all right, I guess so. I thought it over. I felt terrible. And she gave me the ring back. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And what do I tell people too, you know? Like, uh, I guess I have to do the whole like family dog technique where it's just like, uh, so how's the engagement? What engagement? There never was an engagement. You're crazy. Go to bed. No dinner. <laughs> so we're no longer engaged. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And as a man, my pride was kind of hurt. And uh, we just kind of slog along for a couple of months. And I'm like, well, may- maybe if I sit this thing out and maybe there's an opportunity to re-engage. But uh, things weren't looking good. And then one day I was out for a walk and I see a tweet from Becky it says, uh, oh, finally, I get a moment alone to spend with a beer and my cat. And 
it didn't really mean anything. I mean, it was just a harmless tweet, but I kind of took it personally, uh, as I sometimes do. I'm like, oh, a free moment alone. You want to spend it with a beer and a cat? Well, how about me? And so I just call her up, and I'm like, hey, uh, do you want to be with me? And she's like, no. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Obama. This is great. <laughs> and I feel like a real idiot, and I, I think about like the past few years, the past few months, and I, I feel really dumb, like, I have spent so much time thinking about how I'm going to propose to this person and not if this was the right person to propose to. And, and uh, over that Christmas break, my friends Nick and Erica, they got engaged. And then they told me the story of how they did it. And uh, they were at Nick's parents' place. And on Christmas morning, uh, Erica woke up and saw that Nick had placed an engagement ring right on Erica's pillow, and she said yes, and they've been together ever since. And I was like, good for you guys, you fucks. <laughs> and uh, since then, I've, to be honest, not really had the desire to propose to anyone else. But I think that if I ever do, and I hope that I do, if I ever do, I know one thing, I'm not gonna get Pinkberry involved. <laughs> Thank you. proposal going out of midcourt right now, Jerry. I really can't imagine uh, doing that. You know, that's that's under pressure, isn't it? Well, whatever you did work because you're still married. How many yeah. years? Forty years. Forty years. So yeah. I think people ought to be asking you well, how to do it. Well, I tell you, if I'd have did it that way, I wouldn't have got. She'd have probably need me while I'm down there. But uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm just waiting once for the for the gal to say no. Okay. And, yeah. Oh, you, know, you know that would be. Uh, well, she has to say yes there. She may say no as soon as they walk off the court. Oh, I think she's saying I can't do it right now. So I, I really do like you a lot, but uh, let's just be friends. Wow, look at this. Wow. Well, how do you like that? You know, I was just joking when I said that. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> boy, that uh, young man uh, probably get over it in uh, 10, 12 years or so. It was the winter of my freshman year in college. I was sitting at this elegant dining room table. It was just kind of a beautiful piece of furniture. It was gorgeous, and everything in the room was gorgeous, from the flatware to, you know, the rugs, and we were having this lovely dinner. The we was four of us. My friend, Ronaldo, his mother, his father, and his little sister. And his mother had prepared this beautiful meal that perfectly suited the aesthetic of the room. It was very simple. It was this filet of salmon for each of us, and, you know, almost no seasoning, just salt and pepper and tofu and 
stir-fried broccoli rabe, I think it was, and it was understated. Everything was understated. Unless you were really paying attention, you might not notice how expensive everything was, <laughs> which is a marker of <laughs> an even higher level of taste. So I felt a little bit uncomfortable in that situation, but it was all right. You know, the whole family was very kind. They were intelligent and worldly and very welcoming. Ronaldo's father was a physicist and his mother was from Peru and they were from New York. It was a Jewish family from New York and they were very worldly, to put it simply. They knew a lot more about, uh, it seemed like everything than I did. So that was all right. <laughs> I was doing my best. I was fumbling along and you know, we were eating and they were quizzing me. I think the idea was to discern whether or not I would be a suitable mate for their son, which I, I don't think I anticipated that being the reason for the visit, but it was. So no pressure, of course. Dinner was delicious, so I was fine for that moment. So I was eating and eating and eating, and then I looked up at one point and I realized that everyone had finished except for me. And everyone had finished and sort of neatly slipped their salmon skin to the side of the plate. And I was currently in the process of devouring the salmon skin. I was I was sort of slurping it down and chomping on it and uh, you know the oily, fatty, delicious, gross kind of but crackly awesomeness of the salmon skin. And, and they were all just kind of staring at me. They weren't being rude. They weren't judging me overtly. <laughs> but but I could feel it. I could feel what an outsider I was. I suddenly felt like this wild bear that had just lumbered in from the wilderness and somehow <laughs> sat down at this table with these sophisticated human beings and was just shoving food into my mouth. And it was in that moment that I realized that I had failed. I'd utterly failed the test, and I was not going to be Ronaldo's girlfriend. I was not going to be his wife. This was not the end of my story, I suppose. It was not the end of my romantic story. And it made me sad. It made me very disappointed, because I felt that I hadn't fit in anywhere in a long time. Going to college had really exacerbated that for me. I felt stupider than everyone else. Felt like everyone knew things that I was supposed to know, but I hadn't gotten the memo. I didn't know which things were important. I, there's a lot I just didn't understand when it came to the workings of the world. I was just trying to figure out what I liked, even. I knew I liked the arts, and I knew I liked writing, 
but I didn't know what I wanted to study. I didn't know where I wanted to live. I was from D.C., and my whole family was there, and I knew I did not want to live in D.C. Um, so I was, I was just trying to figure out what I liked, even. And I wanted to go on adventures. I wanted to figure it out. And this trip to the UP was uh, the perfect opportunity to see if this would be the right box that fit. It wasn't, but... You know, I was I was a brave, brave girl, and I soldiered on. And so I tried to have a good time anyhow. We were in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which is very isolated, very remote. And Ronaldo, he was a friend. He had approached me with this tenderness to invite me to his family's house. And it moved me. The intimacy of it just moved me. So I'd convinced myself to fall in love with this boy. The idea hadn't even occurred to me until he put it in my head. The hope was that by finding this boyfriend, by having this, this man, boy, boy, <laughs> in my life, that I would have something secure to hold on to, that I would know who I was and I would feel safe. <sighs> the trip ended and I got back on the bus to go back to DC. <laughs> and I don't know how much you know about uh, United States geography, but DC is very far away from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And taking a Greyhound bus is over two days really was not the best idea. <laughs> but I was still young enough then that I guess it didn't hurt too badly. <laughs> and I wasn't afraid of strangers. So I jumped back on the bus to go back to DC and I was dejected. So maybe the Greyhound was the right place for me. After a little while, I started to smell, like all the smells, and <laughs> I was sweaty and gross. My breath was awful, and, and I just felt like I deserved it. I deserved to be this nasty, funky little creature, you know, this creature of the wild that <laughs> had no sophistication to her, and that was that. That first night, I think we were somewhere in Ohio. It just becomes a blur after a while, especially on a nighttime ride, because you're floating in and out of consciousness, and they don't always announce the stops, and some stops no one really gets on or off. And I did what I typically do, which is, you know, very clever of me. I'm sure no one else has ever thought of this. But, you know, I stared out the window, stared very hard out the window um, to express my disinterest in sitting with anyone else. <laughs> scowled very seriously. And I really didn't want to sit next to anyone. I was in a terrible mood. And I knew that I was not good company. So people, you know, came on the bus and... At one point, I suddenly saw this incredibly gorgeous man walk onto the bus, and 
I don't know how he got there. He was a character out of a dream, out of a fantasy. It was crazy. He was beautiful. He moved like a cat, like a wild cat, a panther. Oh, God, he had this beautiful dark skin and this lean, toned body and... And his eyes, God, the way he moved his eyes was just, his eyes were so quick. You could tell he was picking up every little detail about every person on this bus. You know, he could just sum someone up in, in a flash. I got the sense from him and it was uh, riveting. <laughs> I don't know, maybe I felt a bit of a kinship with him in that way, because I was, you know, reading people as well, but but he was just so gorgeous, and I was so horny after a week of being trapped in the snow with a boy who didn't want to hook up with me. <laughs> I was very horny. And so I just... You know, I don't um, often pray to spirits or the universe or anything. But at that moment, I prayed very intently. Please don't let him sit next to me. Please don't let him sit next to me. Anything but that. Do not let this gorgeous man sit next to me. Anything but that. So, of course, he did. And I just, I just shut down. I closed my eyes. I put my head against the window and pretended to be asleep, as though I'd fallen asleep instantly in that moment. <laughs> and I did notice that I hadn't put the armrest down between us, so there was still this sort of space open between us, but it was too late to undo that at that point. So I just took a deep breath and tried to relax and I just said I'll, I'll fall asleep it'll be fine I don't have to talk to him he doesn't have to smell my stinky breath and we'll be okay after a while when I was just starting to fall asleep I started to feel the most bizarre sensation. It was not the sensation of someone touching me, and it was not the sensation of someone touching the clothes touching me. It was the sensation of someone touching the clothes that were not touching my skin which makes no sense. It still makes no sense. And, <laughs> and I've been living with this story for years. I really, it makes no sense whatsoever. But I was wearing these baggy clothes. You know, as a young woman traveling alone, I wanted to be sort of incognito. And I had baggy jeans and a baggy hoodie. And I could feel this touch on the sort of loose folds of my hoodie, just running up and down my arm, just in the most delicate way, so that I, I couldn't even be sure if it was real. It was as though I were dreaming it. And I didn't want to open my eyes, because I didn't want to engage with this guy in case he was awake. And 
I also didn't want it to stop. At the same time that I didn't feel that I deserved to be touched by this miraculous specimen of a man, <laughs> I, I deeply wanted him to touch me at the same time. <sighs> and I said to myself, okay, if this goes past a certain point, you have to... You have to say no. You have to put a stop to it. And my rule was that if he actually touched my body, then I would have to confront him. Over the course of this happening, of him touching the exterior of my clothes and just kind of stroking them, I, I began to feel the touch. Even though he wasn't touching me, even though he wasn't touching the clothes touching me, I began to feel this build of magnetism, of power, of, of a spark. Something was growing and just pulsing in me. My blood and my heart was moving faster and faster. It was a sensation of connection. It was connectedness between us. He was drawing a web between us. He was knitting something. He was, he was building something. I don't know how to say it in a way that doesn't diminish the beauty of it because it was so elegant. It was so elegant. When I mentioned the way he walked on the bus, the way he moved, it's the way that a dancer moves and the kind of movement that I've always been jealous of because I'm, I'm very clumsy. <laughs> I knock things over all the time, but when you see someone like a, a dancer or a martial artist just execute a, a tremendous, gorgeous move that just makes your heart ache, it was like he was using that kind of motion to bind me to him. And that began to drive me absolutely wild. <laughs> So it progressed. I thought he might stop. I thought this might end. And by now I knew it. He had to know what he was doing. He had to be doing this on purpose. And he kept touching these, these folds and so carefully, so precisely that never, ever, ever did he touch my skin. It was just the folds of fabric. And he touched the folds of fabric on on my jeans, and that was crazy. That was really hard to sit still for. <laughs> the loose folds, just like on the outside of my leg and then around the knee and near the inside of the leg. And, and all of a sudden, I, I just had the most earth-shaking orgasm I have ever had in my entire life crazy orgasm it was it was mind-blowing it was like a volcano i don't know all the cliches you can think of the spring was bursting in my body and <laughs> birds were singing and everyone was dancing on the bus it was a musical i don't know <laughs> and and the craziest part about it was that I could not make a sound. I could not make a sound. I could not move a muscle. I was absolutely still. And I did not make a sound. I can't believe 
they didn't make a sound. I, I can't believe it. But someone would have said something. Someone would have looked at me. Anything. You hear someone having a crazy orgasm. But no one did. And, and it just went on and on. It was incredible. I had never had an orgasm like that before. It was minutes. It was minutes of orgasm, which was a long time. Especially for something that powerful and that enduring. And then it was over, and I passed the fuck out. I passed out. I finally had real sleep, not fake greyhound sleep. Real. I am spent. I have given everything sleep. Whew. <laughs> Sometime the next day, we pulled into Port Authority, New York, which, which is the midway point for a lot of people. It's a transfer point. Everybody has to get off the bus. Everybody has to get onto a new bus or just get off in New York. And as we got off the bus, I studiously avoided eye contact with this man and grabbed my stuff and went off to the front of the building to smoke a cigarette. And I still, I could not come to terms with what had happened to me. What was this? This was so mysterious. I didn't even know that was possible for a person to have an orgasm without no genitals being involved at all. No touch being involved at all. Not even a kiss or anything. That's crazy, right? And so I I was sitting there smoking the cigarette trying to process this. And I suddenly saw him. I saw this man, my partner, (laughs) who was walking down the street and he was looking right at me. He was staring at me. He was looking me dead in the eye, not smiling, not waving, not, hey, buddy, none of that, just like, like a hunter. He would not stop looking at me. This serious gaze that just sent chills through my body. For a while, I looked back at him. And then I looked down. I had to look away. I was just, like, flushed, and so I didn't know what to do. What do I do? I'm about to get on another bus to D.C., and what just happened? I don't even know this man. Is he dangerous? Is he... I... I looked up again a second later, and he was gone. And I never saw him again. For a long time, I think I was sad about that. I was sad that I'd missed that opportunity, (laughs) if only to ask, like, this sexual wizard, you know? (laughs) Like, where did you get your powers? Teach me more. I wanted to be his novice, you know? We could have been incredible lovers. Maybe that would have been one of the great loves of my life. And I just, I just let him walk away. (sighs) But more than anything, I have to be grateful. Because this man taught me, he gave me this moment of pure safety and joy and satisfaction just in myself the way that I was Somehow he saw me, and he saw that I needed something, and he gave it to me. That was something that 
School wasn't giving me, Ronaldo wasn't giving me. All I wanted was this experience of adventure and, and love. And I found it. This is Risk. This is Offenbach behind me now. And we just heard from Laura Swearingen Steadwell. You can find her online at laura3names.com. And her new collection of poems, All Blue So Late, will be published by Northwestern University Press in December. That story, in a surprising way, brings to mind... What we're going through right now where so many victims of sexual harassment or sexual assault are coming forward to tell their stories lately, it's incredibly important for us all to listen, listen, listen to those stories. And it's important to check in and talk with one another, whether it's you know just with your friends or lovers about consent and negotiation on an ongoing basis. That's a conversation to keep having. Laura's story is, as far as I know, an anomaly. I've never heard of anything like that before. But as a gay man, I've come from a culture where totally nonverbal sex with total strangers is not unusual. Sex where no one ever actually says words like yes or no. It's more likely to happen in a man-to-man situation. It's why it's surprising to hear something like this, this story we just heard. But I've talked in my stories before about how subtle and nuanced and evolving a thing consent can be in an interaction from one moment to another. Like in that story, Laura said that she was prepared to stop it if it came to a point where she felt she really needed to. So all I can recommend is just to keep sharing about all that and keep listening to those who want to share about it and put your most compassionate mindset in the game when engaging in those conversations. Okay, before that, we heard a little interstitial by our episode editor, Jeff Barr, a uh, marriage proposal gone wrong. And now I want to talk to you about Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. With three mattress models, the original Casper, 
the wave, and the essential, Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. Not to mention the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And it's delivered right to your door in a small, how do they do that sized box with free shipping and returns in the US and Canada. But the best part is that you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100 night risk-free sleep on it trial. After all, you spend one third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. I have a Casper mattress, and I really am not exaggerating when I say that it's the best mattress I've ever had. It has improved my sleeping dramatically. So start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash risk and using risk at the checkout. That's casper.com slash risk. The offer code is risk for $50 off your mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. Our final story on this week's episode comes to us from Patty Smith, not the Patty Smith of rock and roll fame, but uh, Patty Smith of Detroit. She shared this the last time we were in Detroit, and it's so funny. I guess it's been a year since we first recorded this because I've just returned from Detroit and have four new stories to present to you from this past weekend. But here she is now. This is Patty Smith in Detroit the last time we were there with a story we call Good Girls. We're on a bus. It's a bright, sunny day. I'm in the eighth grade, and I'm with my girlfriends, and we're going on a field trip to Cedar Point. My best friend Kathy is next to me, and we're the good kids. We're not the mean girls. We're the good kids. We're the kids in junior high who are in the yearbook, in the choir, in the newspaper, honor society, class council. This is our end of the year reward. We get to go to Cedar Point. And I'm there with my best friends. And we're in a group of six. You know, the teachers put you in groups, right? And five of us are on this bus. And the sixth person in the group is on the other bus. That girl is Mindy. And Mindy and I have been friends since kindergarten. But people at school say things about Mindy, and they make fun of her hair and her clothes and the way she talks and the way she walks and her family. And I know for my mom and dad, Mindy is the school fat girl. And I don't think I would think that on my own because I'm not like that, but I know for my mom and dad that Mindy is the fat girl and her family is weird. Everybody in the neighborhood got the helping hand sign. It was just this orange sign with a hand. And, like, you put it in your window, and it meant you could go there if you were in trouble. Everybody, even the people without kids, put that in their window. But not Mindy's family. And Mindy's mom doesn't hang out with our moms. And in the 1970s suburbia, that was social suicide. You did not do that. And when you went to her house, and I went to Mindy's house so many times, the curtains were always closed. And there was a smell like my grandma's closet, just old and unused and just 
like it's been there a while and, and there were all these cords and you couldn't really move and, and, and there were all these owls on the wall. They're macrame owls. And it was the 70s, so like macrame was a thing. It wasn't, but they had like these beady eyes and these, these eyes would look at you. And to this day, I have nightmares that I'm in that house and those owls are always there with me. But I ain't thinking about owls because I'm on a bus and we're going to Cedar Point. And my best friend Kathy's right next to me and we're talking about what's going to happen that day. And Kathy tells us that her sister went on this field trip two years ago and met a boy. And now the doors of perception have opened. The realms of possibility for this field trip have just, we might meet boys. And we might start going with a boy. Because there's girls at our school who go with boys, but they're like the bad girls. They're the mean girls. They're the ones that say mean things to me in volleyball because I can't hit a fucking volleyball. Oh, I'm sorry. I have a 4.0 grade, but I can't hit a fucking volleyball. But, you know, and they're the ones that they go in the bathroom and they smoke and they cover it up with Love's Baby Soft. So when you go in the bathroom, it's like this cloud of naughty just hanging over the bathroom and you know they've been there. And those are the girls that are going with boys. But, you know, maybe now we're going to meet boys and maybe it's our time. And Kathy's talking about this and then Kathy says, yeah, but Mindy... Mindy's been my friend for nine years, and she's so funny. She says, I, okay, it's true we haven't hung out much in eighth grade, but we hung out all the time in seventh grade. And one day, Mindy just says out of the blue, she's like, what if we get old, like 30, and we can't talk? Because that's a thing. And so we're like, okay, so we made up an entire language, just the two of us, called motions. Like, right was female and left was male. So, like, it was, like, mother and father and, like, sister and brother. We'd all, we, we could literally act out Wham! videos with motions because we had so many of them. And we would act out the Duran Duran videos because, like, I was going to marry John and she was going to marry Andy. So, like, we'd have the same last name. It'd be really cool. And we had so much fun together. I mean, we literally made a book of all of our jokes because, you know, one of two things. There'd be a nuclear war because, you know, it was the 80s and that was a thing. And so we're like, we're going to write this down so that when people find this book after the nuclear war, the book will survive and people will find it and they'll know what it was like to be us. Or there's not a nuclear war and we're old, like 30, and we want to look back at our days. And so we have this thing called the book and we have all these private jokes. But Mindy's still the school fat girl and people still say things to her and when she wears makeup, it just, it's never quite right. It's, it's, it's either it's too much or it's too little. And her hair just, she still wears those barrettes with the beads. And it's, so when Kathy said, yeah, but Mindy, I knew exactly what she meant. Because no boy was going to be with us if Mindy was there. And we're talking about this. And then somebody in the group says, maybe Mindy shouldn't be in our group. And it was not me who said that. But Kathy looks at me, and my best friend, Kathy goes, remember math class? I did remember what happened in math class. It was like two weeks ago, and Mindy was coming into class, and she's kind of messy and unorganized, and there, there was this mean girl who was mean to me in gym class, and I remember this girl's first and last name. And if you're here tonight, my clothes came from Marianne in Oakland Mall, because that was a big concern to her where my pants came from in eighth grade. So if she's here, um, and this mean girl tripped Mindy as Mindy was coming into the math class, and everybody laughed. And Kathy and I laughed, but Kathy and I got up and we helped Mindy get her books together, and we helped her get her stuff together. So when someone said Mindy shouldn't maybe be in our group, I kind of knew what she meant. But then we're there. 
we're at Cedar Point, and if you're not from here, um, Cedar Point is like the Disneyland of the Midwest, okay? It's awesome. It gets the best ultimate end of the year field trip ever. And when you're in eighth grade, it is. And so we get there, and Kathy says to me, girl, you got to see this. And the reason she said that, and you should know this about me, that I was not wearing my glasses. And my vision's like 2020 is normal. Mine's like 21,000. It's really bad. And I had contacts, but I lost them. And my, my stupid parents were like, we're not getting you new ones until you can pay for them yourself. So I'm like, fine, I just won't wear my glasses. So I always had them with me, but I could not see. But Kathy told me I should put them on, so I did. And I saw the coasters and the rides. And I, they were like the 80s Coke bottle plastic glasses. And then this boy, he was sitting right there, like, like up, and he turned and looked at me, and I took him off because I didn't want to be the ugly girl in the 80s glasses. And so... The bus is parked, and Kathy is helping me off the bus because I can't see, and we're in the parking lot, and Mindy's there, and it's the group of six, and we're standing there. It's bright, and it's hot, and Kathy has my hand. I don't know where our classmates, I don't know where they are, but there's all these people around us who I don't know, and we're running. The five of us are running away, and we're leaving Mindy in the parking lot and we're running and Kathy's pulling my hand and I had this Jordache purse that you always wore across your body and there was like 10 different colors and I had all the colors and Mindy's mom wouldn't buy her one for some reason I would lend her mine and this purse is hitting me and, and there's people and it's bright and it's blurry and there's these we're pushing through the people and we're leaving Mindy and we're running and Kathy's pulling my hand but I'm running and we're running and we're inside the park and we've left Mindy there with people she doesn't know by herself. And I, I don't feel anything. I, um, Mindy and I played Barbies way longer than people should. And I, I feel like of those Barbies, we just left. I'm just there. And I just want to start my day. We do. We start our day. We just start it. And we go on the rides. And we do the roller coasters. And we meet up with boys in our class. And we do the water rides. And at the end of the day... We're with these boys from our class, and we go back to the bus, and we're on the bus, the five of us, and we're sitting there, me and Kathy next to each other, and one of the teachers comes up, and she's like, girls, what happened with Mindy? I'm like, I don't know. She said, well, we, we found her like at lunchtime, and she was sobbing, and she saw us, and she said, thank God I found you. And like, we didn't get in trouble. The teacher was like, okay, whatever, and, and, and we just rode the bus back, and we just rode back to junior high, and... And then it was over. Junior high was over. And Mindy went to a different high school. And and now I'm a grown-up. Who saw that coming? I went to college, and I went to law school, and I was a lawyer for a while, and that sucked. So don't do that if that's what you're thinking. And uh, I had a husband or so, that kind of, you know. Uh, moved to um, the city I always wanted to move to, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yeah, best city. Woo! So uh, so moved to Ann Arbor, where I live, and I switched careers. I'm grown up. What the hell? I'm, I switched careers from law. I'm a special education teacher, living in Ann Arbor, teaching in Detroit public schools, best job I ever had. And, and I'm grown, and there's things happening that we never could have foreseen in 1986, eighth grade. Like, in 1986, stuff, it stayed there. But, like, now there's Wi-Fi and laptops and social media and Facebook. And Kathy, who had my hand, Kathy and I are Facebook friends. What? Like, we never... And, and, and there's this thing called meetup.com, and, and meetup is a social website, and we never 
first saw this and I'm, I'm in this meetup group with my boyfriend who's now my husband and we're at a meetup. It's a board game like Social Werewolf and Mafia if you know those games and um and we're yeah and so we're at this meetup and there's this woman there and she makes me think the term mean girl for the first time in decades because this girl her name was Beth and Beth is nasty. I mean she's, she's okay to me and my and Ken my boyfriend now husband and but Beth is like just rant, just ragging on her boyfriend's sister. And she just says, oh my God, she's so disgusting. She's just, she's morbidly obese. And when you look at her, she looks like she's been through a meat grinder. And I'm like, what? Was she in an accident? And Beth is like, no, she has OCD and she picks. She's a picker. And when she gets nervous, she picks her skin and she picks her face and her skin on her face is red and it's puffy and it's, and it's scarred and it's scabby and it looks like she's a burn victim and, and she's, she's a hoarder and she gets got fired again last month because she can't keep a job. And she lives off of her parents. She, she lives off Brian and her parents and she doesn't leave the house and she doesn't date and she doesn't go out. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I don't want to meet boyfriend Brian. I don't want to meet the sister. You're horrible. You're a mean girl. But I'm nice. I'm still the nice girl that I was always. And I don't say anything. And then the boyfriend, Brian, shows up and he's super nice. So I'm like, all right, it's not him saying this about his sister. It's Beth. And if you know Meetup, you know, you see each other's face in, in the name. And so... Brian is there, and we're kind of chatting, playing a board game, and Castle Panic, if you know, it's really fun. And so we're playing it, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like, oh, I should introduce myself. So I start to tell Brian who I am, and Brian looks at me, and he's like, oh, I know who you are. You're Patty Smith. You grew up on Blah Blah Street, and you went to such and such elementary, and you knew my older sister, Mindy. And I'm back in elementary school, because in front of the school... We had a jungle gym thing, and it was real blacktop. It was real hardtop. None of this tire wood shit they have now. This was real, the real fucking thing, right? And there was this steel jungle gym, and you had to climb to the top, okay? And I'm a scaredy cat, but I could climb to the top because everyone else did. And Mindy never could because she was bigger, but she made it one day. And as I'm sitting there, I'm back there, and Sin- Mindy has climbed to the top, and, and she looks at me, and she waves, and that's where I am. I'm waving at Mindy, but I'm not. I'm looking at her brother, Brian, and I say, oh, my God, you're Brian, you're little Brian. Oh, my God, how are you? How's Mindy? And he's like, yeah, it's okay, you know, and, and so we're playing this game, and, and like a half hour later, he looks at me, and he's been really nice, but Brian looks at me, and he says, you know, it took Mindy a really long time to get over what you did to her at Cedar Point, and like, bricks are crashing down on me and I realize oh my god that person Beth was talking about is Mindy with the OCD and and my brain kicks in it's hyperactive my brain kicks in and it goes okay Patty you did not cause the OCD you did not make her pick you did not make her get fired and be a hoarder and live at home but the other part of my brain is saying you know what though Patty you didn't help did you because you didn't trip her but you laughed And you never called her fat girl, but you did stop other people from doing it. And you never said, maybe they don't open their windows because they have allergies. Maybe they like owls. You never said that, did you? No. So I'm sitting there and all these things and I'm thinking, did we cause this? Did hurt? Did what? Did something? What is in my brain is a mile a minute. And I look at Brian and I say, I'm so sorry. I don't know why we did that. And he says, oh, it's okay. She got over it, but it just caught her off guard because, you know, you were nice girls. And I say, I'm so sorry 
I don't know why we did that. We weren't mean girls. And, like, he's pleasant, and we play the game, and then we're going home, and my boyfriend and I are driving, and I start crying really hard, and I start telling him, I'm not a mean girl. I was not a mean girl at all. And, and I tell him, oh, you know what? Mindy got her period in school in the seventh grade. Because of course she did. Because when God or fate or the universe hates you, it really fucks with you. And this girl got her period in seventh grade. And there was this mean girl, and I remember her first and last name. And she was whispering, and all the people were whispering. And the teacher didn't do shit, because they never did shit. And everybody knew Mindy had her period. But I stayed. When the bell rang... I stayed and I helped Mindy clean up the blood and I wrapped my sweater around her waist and I'm telling my boyfriend, I'm not a mean girl. And I get home and the only thing I can think to do is message Kathy. And Kathy's reply to me is, I can't believe we did that. But it's not like, oh my God, I get, no, 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 no. She's like, I don't believe you. That did not happen. And I said, Kathy, of course it happened. I remember it. Obviously, Mindy remembers it. And remember, I wouldn't wear my glasses, and you had my hand, and she says, yeah, 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 you wouldn't wear your damn glasses. I remember that, but I would not have done that. We were not mean girls. We were nice. And I'm like, but Kathy, it happened. And I'm on Facebook at, like, you know, 1 in the morning trying to convince her, and then she stops replying. And, like, two days later, I go back to that thread, and I see, oh, she's unfriended me. And I don't hear from her again. And maybe that was coincidence. It could have been coincidence. I don't know. And this last part might have been, could have been coincidence, um, but uh, within a year, a year or so after that happened, I was teaching at my school in Detroit, and I'm a special ed teacher, and I push into classes, and I was in the eighth grade classroom. We were putting the kids in field trip groups for end of the year Greenfield Village field trip. My boys were in a group, and I see them fussing, and I go over, and I'm like, oh my God, what? And one of my boys says, Miss Smith, um, yeah, we don't want Jamal in our group. I'm like, fuck. Jamal is a new kid. This poor kid moved to school in May. And he doesn't really fit in, doesn't know anybody. And I'm like, you guys, come on. It's an afternoon. You don't got to be here in the 100-year-old school. Let's just let him in your group. It's no big deal. And they're still fussing, and they're still fuming, and they're still huffing and puffing, like only eighth-grade boys can do. And I go back over to them, and I'm like, guys, knock it off. Suck it up, get over it, Jamal's in your group. And I'm the cool teacher. I'm the nice teacher. I'm the fun teacher. So when I raise my voice, you better believe something's going on. And my boys are all, look, they're all, they're like, wait, like, Miss Smith, no, 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 Jamal's in our group. It's cool. We're straight. It's cool. And then I gave them that smile that grown-ups give kids when we want them to know we love them very much. And I gave them that smile. And I said, I know you're cool. I know it's Okay. And uh, I'll be your chaperone, and I will let you get away with things the other ones won't. And they were like, yeah. So Jamal comes over. He's in the group. And, you know, they don't become best friends, but Jamal joins this group of six boys, and we go outside, and we're on a bus, and it's a bright, sunny day. And these kids are the good kids. That school didn't have much, but we had a choir. We had a class council. We had an honor society. And these are the good kids these are the nice kids. They're in the eighth grade, and we're going on a field trip. Thank you.
That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is The Killers behind me now, and we just heard from Patti Smith. I'm going to let you know where Risk is appearing live next on November 14th. We are in Brooklyn at Littlefield. November 14th at Littlefield in Brooklyn. On November 18th, we're in Los Angeles again at the Bootleg Theater. Come on out, Los Angeles, on November 18th. On December 2nd, for the first time ever, Risk is in Phoenix, Arizona at the Valley Bar. And we are still taking pitches for that at risk-show.com slash submissions. On January 20th, Risk returns to San Francisco at the Swedish American Hall that is for Sketchfest in San Francisco on January 20th. And folks, don't forget that you can support the show not just by becoming a patron at Patreon, but by following us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Risk Show, by leaving positive comments and reviews on iTunes, and by taking any of our classes at thestorystudio.org. We do one-on-one training over Skype, we do in-person workshops, in New York and Los Angeles and Minneapolis, and we teach corporate workshops for small and very large businesses alike at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear...